Uh, love the Lord, encourage one another, but not William Cowper, but John Newton. But let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And I want to ask you a little question. I was speaking with Pastor Bassett yesterday, and our conversation prompted my mind in this direction. He was speaking to me about this text, and uh, immediately I began thinking about it, and I believe it's God's leading and God's will that I preach from it tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, pardon me, chapter 1, and I want you to look with me, please, at verse number 18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. With God's help tonight, I want to preach on this title given to me in my conversation yesterday with Mr. Bassett, which side of the cross are you on? Let's bow our heads in prayer one more time and ask the Lord's help this evening. Heavenly Father, we come before thee again tonight and ask of thee now as we look at thy word, please speak to us. Help us to know very clearly where we stand. Help us to know with assurance which side of the cross we are found on tonight. And for those, Lord, that are perishing, may their eyes be open to that reality. And may they recognize it is through the cross and the cross alone that they may find that salvation that they so desperately need. Speak, we pray, by thy Spirit's power. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me ask you tonight as you're watching, which side of the cross are you on? At the center of all Christianity stands an old rugged cross. Some people sing that hymn and love it very dearly. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross. You cannot have Christianity without the cross. You cannot have salvation without the cross of Jesus Christ. It has become, in many ways, the symbol of Christianity. You'll find it at the top of church steeples. You'll find it around, uh, on necklaces around people's necks. You'll find it in windows and bumper stickers. The cross has become synonymous with Christianity. But can I tell you that many modern so-called Christians today are pushing for the removal of the cross, or at least a lessening of the emphasis of the cross. Let's have less talk about the blood that was spilt on that cross. Let's have less mention of sacrifice, please. Let's have less of an emphasis on death and Gory, bloody, gruesome, cruel, shameful, humiliating crucifixion. The cross is offensive by nature. Let's talk of judgment. Let's talk of the judgment of God which lays at the very root of the cross. Because were the judgment of God not a reality, then Christ need not die on the cross. The cross is naturally divisive and tonight there is 
still a great divide. A divide between those who call themselves the children of God and those who are not. And right in the middle of that great divide stands the cross. And I ask you again this evening, which side are you on? On the one side, there appears to be much liberty and much freedom. Live how you want to live. Have a good old time. Do what you want to do. There's freedom to bounce around from one religion to the next religion and one persuasion, one philosophical view to the next. And you can change your position as often as you change your socks if you'd like to. You can even admire Christianity from a distance, even wear the label and the title of Christian, and even dabble in on some Christian things, but yet never really go all in. You see, on that side of the cross, there's much liberty, or so it appears. And on the other side of the cross, it appears to be much restriction. And it appears to be boring and it appears to be full of rules and regulations. But can I tell you, it all depends upon your perspective this evening. On one side of the cross is found, according to verse number 18, them that perish. Oh, you may feel as if you have great liberty and great freedom and I'm free from the chains of religion, some people say. I'm free from the rules and regulations of a God to tell me what to do. But can I tell you, the Bible says, to them that perish, the cross, the preaching of the cross is foolish. We are all born on this side of the cross, the side that's perishing. We are all born dead and trespasses and sins, spiritually stillborn. And naturally, therefore, the preaching of the cross is naturally to them that perish foolishness. Silliness. That's what the word foolish means. To those who are not yet saved and not yet born again, then the preaching of the cross is absurdity. On December the 23rd, 2012, an article was written. The title of the article advocated according to Richard Dawkins' perspective that it was worse for a child to be born into the home of a Christian than to be born into the home of a sexual predator. The article went on to say this, in the eyes of just about the entire governing class and intelligentsia, belief in Christianity is viewed at best as an embarrassment to our society and at worst, proof positive of imbecility. The scriptures say to, the, to them that are perishing, the preaching of the cross is foolishness, nonsense, silly, absurd, some fairy tale. It doesn't make sense. Not only that, but if you continue reading in our text tonight, the Apostle Paul writes in verse number 19, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the so-called wise, that is, the wisdom of the world, and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. 
Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer, the debater of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. You see, those who are perishing not only look at the cross as foolish, but they also look at it as illogical. In fact, Paul writes here and says that after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by its wisdom knew not God, meaning uh, the world cannot know God by its own wisdom. And I think that's the problem with many people today. They have attempted in their own human understanding and human logic They've attempted by their own, own power to grasp the gospel and therefore it is entirely and utterly illogical. The world by its wisdom. Let me read to you a quote given by that German philosopher of the 19th century, Friedrich Nietzsche. When we hear the ancient beliefs, the ancient bells growling on a Sunday morning, we ask ourselves, is it really possible? This, for a Jew crucified 2,000 years ago who said he was God's son, the proof of such a claim is lacking. Certainly the Christian religion as an antiquity projected into our times from remote prehistory. And the fact that the claim is believed, whereas one is otherwise so strict in examining pretensions, is perhaps the most ancient piece of this heritage. A God who begets children with a mortal woman, a sage who bids men work no more, have no more courts, but look for the signs of the impending end of the world, a justice that accepts the innocent as a vicarious sacrifice, someone who orders his disciples to drink his blood, prayers for miraculous interventions, sins perpetrated against a God, atoned for by a God, fear of a beyond to which death is the portal, the form of the cross as a symbol in a time that no longer knows the function and ignominy of the cross. How ghoulishly all this touches us, as if from the tomb of a primeval past can one believe that such things are still believed. And that was written more than 100 years ago, coming up on 200 years, 150 years. Because to them that perish, the preaching of the cross is not only foolish, it's illogical. It doesn't make sense. You see, to them that perish, this cross that Christians hold to so dearly and cling to so tightly just does not make sense. How could a God become a man? You heard Nietzsche's own words. How could a God become a man and then die for those who have offended him? It just doesn't make sense. And how could the guilty be pardoned and set free? How could they be counted, legally counted 
as no longer a convict. How is that even possible? It just doesn't make sense. And therefore, you find in verse number 22, the Jews require a sign. And the Greeks seek after wisdom. And so to them that perish, this cross that we preach, not only foolish, it's not only illogical, it's just simply unbelievable. They need a sign. How many times have you heard people say, if there is a God and if this is true, then give me some evidence, give me some proof, and give me a sign. Although all the signs that have been given them are quite clear, it's just not quite enough. Not proof enough. You see, what they're looking for is not really a sign. They don't really understand that because all the signs have been given. And when one's eyes are opened, they see clearly, look at all of these signs and evidences and proofs that have been before my eyes all my life. And so what people are lacking is not signs and evidences and proofs. What they're lacking is vision, sight. Oh, but to them that are perishing, the cross is foolish, it's unbelievable, it's illogical, and it is altogether entirely unattractive. And I think it's quite an interesting Reality and quite an interesting paradox that people who call themselves Christians today and churches today are trying to make Christianity attractive to the world when the very heart of it is just not attractive. Never has been. Outwardly, Christianity from the outside is not attractive. Paul writes about this and he speaks in verse number 26, For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised hath God chosen and the things which are not to bring to naught things that are. And so the world looks at our faith and looks at those who follow our Savior and those who believe this book, and we are, for the most part, an unattractive crowd. For the most part, we're an unattractive crowd. Now, we know uh, that, of course, the whole family of God and the whole kingdom of God includes some from every tribe, kindred, and nation, from, some from every walk of life. We, history tells us this faith, this message is for all who will believe. Rich and poor alike. The most intelligent of the, hum of the human race and those who are simple-minded. This message is for all. Those who are wealthy and those who are poor. Those who are good-looking and those who are a little less attractive. This message is for all. But from the outside, it's not attractive. It's always been that way. You see, when God's people carried the tabernacle of the living God through the wilderness, from the outside, that tabernacle was quite unattractive. It had badger skins as a covering, gray, ugly color, 
sewn and knit together on the top and on the outside. It looked absolutely ugly, but inside that tabernacle was a sparkling splendor of gold. Inside that tabernacle was the beauty of the presence of the almighty living God. And so it is true with our faith today. From the outside, it is altogether unlovely. But on the inside, all the untold riches to be found in Christ. God forbid that we try our best to make the outside of it to be attractive. There's nothing wrong with trying to take care of ourselves, but it is not in the attraction of the outside that will win the lost. No, what the world needs is not for their eyes to glisten and glimmer at the riches that the church has. The only thing that makes the cross of Jesus Christ attractive is not that it's dipped in gold, but it's the understanding of our absolute need of it. The preaching of the cross of Jesus Christ is to them that perish foolishness until they recognize that were it not for the cross, were it not for the death of a perfect sinless Savior, we would be eternally damned, perishing. When eyes are opened to the reality that you are actually perishing and your only hope of escape is that cross that you have despised for so long, until you see the awful reality that in just a matter of time, that in just, in the last breath, you will be standing before the presence of an awesome God and all of your life's sin will be called to record on that day. Until you realize that, the cross is nonsense to you. Nature tells you that you're perishing. Nature tells you that your body is decaying and corrupting, but the decay and corruption of the body is only a sign of the condition of your soul. God in his mercy has helped us to realize that something isn't right. We're perishing. And not just the body is perishing, but the soul is perishing. I'm reminded that little hymn, Rescue the Perishing, Care for the dying. Snatch them in pity from sin in the grave. That's on one side of the cross. Those that perish. It's foolish. But on the other side of the cross, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 18, the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us, which are saved, it is the power of God. On one side of the cross, you find the perishing. On the other side of the cross, you find the saved, rescued, no longer perishing, snatched from the pit. And I wonder tonight, which side do you stand on? On the one side, those who are sinking lower and lower with each day, headed closer to an eternity of destruction. And on the other side, those who are safe, secure. That's what the word saved means. 
rescued. Have you been saved tonight? Occasionally I'll come home late. My mother will, my wife will say to me, the mother of my children will say to me, I've saved some dinner for you. Meaning I have kept it from being thrown away or kept it from all the little children devouring it, but it has nonetheless been saved for you. And so that's what it means that we that are saved have been rescued and kept from the wrath and judgment of God. Can I ask you tonight, have you been saved? You see, the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but the cross is to them that are saved the power of God. We have no power, no strength of our own, but our power and our glory is in the cross of Jesus Christ. All strength and all might is not in what we've done, but in what Jesus Christ has done. And when he hung upon the cross, he cried out with as much strength as he could have, it is finished. And so we recognize the cross is the power of God to give us victory over sin. It's the power of God to deliver us from the power of sin that has crippled us for so long. Oh, how powerful the cross of Jesus Christ is. You say, but what else? To them that are saved. The Bible says in verse number 29, there's a reason that God hath chosen the foolish things of the world. There's a reason that no flesh should glory in his presence. And so when we think of the cross of Jesus Christ to those of us that are saved, we recognize that what took place on that cross was the almighty power of God. And we humble ourselves beneath the salvation that has been offered and granted unto us. And we glory in nothing that we've done. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. But of him, watch this, of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. All to those who are perishing, it's foolish. The cross is foolish, but unto us, we look at the cross of Jesus Christ and see our Savior who's no longer dead but alive and well. And to us, we see now the wisdom of an almighty, omniscient God who from the very, before the world was ever creation, from, created from the foundations of the world, God preordained that his Son would come and die on the cross for sinful creatures like me. For us, is made wisdom. For us, the cross of Jesus Christ is righteousness. We realize that all of our righteousness is as filthy rags, but on that cross of Calvary, when Jesus bled and died, the scriptures tell us a transaction was made. The scriptures help us to understand he that was rich became poor for us 
that we might be made the righteousness of God. We might be given that which is pure and just and right. Our sinful account was taken away and we were given that righteousness. And so for those of us who are saved, we look upon that cross and bless the Lord, oh my soul. Because on that cross, my sin was exchanged for his righteousness. So to, the, to them that perish, it's foolish. But to us, no, to us is made wisdom, righteousness, sanctification. Every once in a while, people imagine that, well, we get saved at the cross, and then we move on. But the reality is all of the Christian life begins and ends and is lived at the cross of Calvary. All eyes upon the Lamb. And when we get to glory, when we get to heaven one day, the Bible says all eyes will behold the Lamb of God. We shall remember, the Bible says the Lamb will be set as a Lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. We'll see the nail prints in his hands, an everlasting reminder of the cross. And our sanctification unto us the cross is the power of God. It's the wisdom of God. It's the righteousness of God. Our very sanctification is found in the cross of Calvary. And we realize we are made more like Christ through that finished work of the Savior and redemption. What a, word, what a beautiful word. Redemption. To be purchased. To be purchased out of the awful slave trade to be purchased out of the slave trade of sin and bondage. And so to us that believe, to us who are saved, the preaching of the cross is not foolishness. It's power. That according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Now I wonder this evening, before we go any further, which side of the cross are you on? Are you on the side that is perishing? Or are you on the side that is saved? And if you're on the side that is saved, then would God Almighty help us to not look upon the cross with disdain, not look upon it and wish we could hear some other story, Look upon it with awe and wonder, knowing that this is the power of God. To them that are saved, the preaching of the cross is the power of God because it is the preaching of the cross. It is through the preaching of the cross, as Paul writes in verse number 21, that it, is, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. We realize it was the preaching of the cross of Jesus that brought our sin-sick soul to salvation. And every time the cross is preached, we ought to recognize that perhaps one more soul might be rescued. One more soul might be rescued through that foolish message. And my prayer tonight is that one more soul who is watching tonight would recognize that they are right now are perishing very soon to stand before a just God. 
May God open their eyes and see that their only hope is not in a church or in a man, but is in a Savior who bled and died for them on the cross. The, pro the preaching of the cross is the power of God to them that believe. Let's bow our heads together.